Good morning. Happy Easter. <laughs> We're so happy that you... <laughs> We're so happy that you came out to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus with us today. Um, my name's Nicole Frankie. I am one of the community group leaders here. Uh, our group meets right here in this neighborhood on Monday evenings. We're going to be reading in John this morning, chapter 20, verse 11, if you want to follow along. It says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me, where have you laid him, and I will take him away? And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Let's pray. Father, we just love you so much, Lord, and you so desperately loved us that you sent your son to the cross. You could live anywhere, and you said that you would pay whatever price necessary to live inside of us. That's how much we're worth. And I just pray that that truth would just sink deep into our hearts this morning. That this isn't just a nice Easter story. That we, we're not, we didn't just get saved so that we can go to heaven. But you brought heaven to us. And Father, I just, I just pray that we would just rejoice this morning in your, your finished work, Father. And that it would just be so real to us, Lord, that it would transform our whole lives. We just love you so much, Jesus, and we just thank you so much, and we just want to be just like you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just come and touch hearts this morning, and just that this truth would just really settle in. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, happy Easter. Happy Easter. Let's try that again. Happy Easter. There you go, kids. You can join in. That's okay. It's okay. You can participate today. It's Easter. Uh, well, I want to welcome you. Uh, if you're new, I want to welcome you. If you're, if you're not new, I want to welcome you back to Phoenix Bible Church. We are so excited to celebrate Easter with you. And I know as I say you, there's lots of different yous in this room. Uh, some of you I haven't seen since Christmas. And that's okay. I'm, I'm still glad you're here. But you need to know that we do this 52 times a year. I don't always wear a vest. But we do gather every Sunday to celebrate the risen Christ. And so we'll be doing that same thing next Sunday, same location and same time. And we'd love, we'd love to have you back for that. Some of you are like me. You grew up around the church. You've gone to church your whole life. And maybe you've been to a lot of Easter services. I know for me, I knew how to wear the khakis. I knew the language. 
I had Christian friends, but it took me a long time to really understand what it truly meant to follow Jesus. And maybe if you're here today, you would say, yeah, that, that's kind of my story. And then still some of you are here today, and you're here, maybe somebody brought you, maybe your spouse uh, or your roommate, and they said, hey, it, it's Easter, you got to come on Easter, right? we got to get the photo with the family. But there's something beyond all of that. And even in this moment as we sing, because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. What began to well up in you is that you have some fear. That there's some things that are off in your life. Some things you've done. Some things people have done to you. And in a moment of transparency, you would just say, part of me is here today. Because maybe something will happen today, I don't know, that will break some of those chains in my life. If that's you, you need to know, I'm really glad you're here. You picked a good day to come. But listen, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what has been done to you, you need to know that today you're not too far gone for the power of the resurrection. You're not too far gone. It's not too late. You showed up just in time. Right, And let me be clear, as we gather, as we sing songs, as we look at God's word, that it's not out of cold religion. That it's not just to check a box. That it's not just to go through the motions. No, we sing to, we pray to, we proclaim the risen Savior and his name is Jesus Christ. That's why we're here today. And so we're going to take a few moments together in our time to look at Scripture, to look at God's Word, and see three characteristics of Jesus through the resurrection. So I invite you, if you have a Bible, you can open it. John chapter 20, Nicole just read it. If you don't have a Bible, there may be one close to you. You can also look on the screen. Those first few verses of John 20, 11 through 15, you see a woman named Mary Magdalene. At the tomb of Jesus. We see that same Mary in Luke's gospel chapter 8. It can get confusing in the gospels. There's many Marys. But Mary Magdalene, we see the same Mary in Luke chapter 8. And we see Jesus in that moment cast seven demons out of this woman. And as you can imagine, that drastically transforms her life. And she becomes a follower of Jesus. And now we come to John chapter 20, verse 11. And it tells us this same Mary is now weeping at his tomb. It says she looks in and sees he's gone. But there's two angels there. And they ask her, why are you weeping? And then in verse 14 and 15, Jesus shows up, but she doesn't recognize him at first. And, and he says the same thing. He says, Mary, why are you weeping? And, and I don't know about you, but as I read that, I, I thought if I was Mary at this point, I would have been a little frustrated. I mean, I'm at a tomb, and everybody's asking me why I'm crying. Like, it's a tomb. That's kind of what you do here, Right? But, but many of you have been to a, a gravesite. That's our version of a tomb. Just a few weeks ago, my uncle uh, passed away, and I was at his gravesite. And there was lots of other graves there. And there was a lot of grief, and there was a lot of tears. 
Many of you, maybe you've been to a funeral recently and there, there was a lot of grief and there was a lot of tears. On Good Friday, if you joined us, we reflected on the death of Jesus and in some ways it was like a funeral. And there was a lot of grief and there was a lot of tears. But you need to know the, the funeral that we reflected on on Good Friday. That it wasn't a funeral for Jesus, it was a funeral for death. It wasn't a funeral for Jesus. It was a funeral for death. That Romans 6 and the scriptures tells us that, Ro that the wages of sin is death. And as exciting as this day is, as pretty as the pastels are, as fun as it will be to hunt eggs after this, there's a harsh reality that still rings true, and that's you and I deserve death. That the wages of sin is death, and that's you, and that's me, that our lies, that our pride, that our gossip, that our greed, that our sin requires a payment of death, eternal death. But praise be to God, amen, that Jesus dies that death in our place for our sin to save us from that eternal death and give us new life in him. You see, the death of Jesus was unlike any other death in history. Because Jesus is unlike anyone else in history. Do you see that? And so as we celebrate Easter today, as we celebrate the power of the resurrection, the first thing I want you to see is this. That Jesus is unprecedented. Jesus is unprecedented. The definition for unprecedented is this. It's without previous instance never known before or experienced, unexampled or unparalleled. That's a great way to describe Jesus, isn't it? He's unprecedented. Never before, never again will there be someone like Jesus. I mean, you just think about this conversation that Jesus is having with Mary. So Jesus has died. He's risen from the grave. And who's the first person he speaks with? A woman. Maybe you're new to church or, or new to the Bible and, and new to that day and that culture. And if you are, you need to know that in that context, in that culture, that it fueled, that it encouraged the devaluation of women. The scholars believe that they may have had rights just above a slave. That in a court of law, oftentimes their testimony wasn't considered admissible. And so you have Jesus who comes, who lives, who dies, who resurrects. He changes history. And who's the first person he comes to? Woman. You see, Jesus flips everything on its side. Maybe you've been around the church. Maybe you've never come to church in your life and you've had conceptions about Jesus. You've had, you've had perceptions about who Jesus is and maybe you think it's a political thing. Maybe you think it's about doing the right things and not doing the wrong things. And, and maybe you've tried to put Jesus in a box and you need to know, listen, you need to know he doesn't fit there. He won't fit there. I mean, if you just consider the, the descriptions of Jesus in the Bible, that, that is Jesus uh, like an innocent lamb who was slain? Yes. But is Jesus also like a, a lion and that he's fierce and powerful? Yes. 
Is Jesus the suffering servant? Is Jesus a man? Yes. But is Jesus also God who conquered sin, Satan, and death? Yes. And so you may try to put Jesus in a box. Our culture may try to put Jesus in a box. But you need to know he won't fit there. Because he is unprecedented. There's no one else like him. He's affected history in a way that no one ever has or ever will. You see it in our songs, in our paintings, in our books. The Bible still today is the best-selling book of all time. You see it in time. He split history into two parts, B.C. and A.D. You see it today on Easter. Just as more of you are, are here today than normal, more people across the world, in fact, a few billion people across the world are doing the same thing. Depending on their time zone, they're doing the same thing. They're gathering in the name of who? Jesus Christ. Something is going on there. Something has been going on there in all of history. Are you paying attention? I know some of you came today to just check this off the list and hunt some eggs with your kids, but... But don't miss this. You can't ignore Jesus. Philippians 2 says, at some point, every knee will bow and everyone will worship Jesus. That you were made to worship Jesus Christ. And if you don't, you'll always be left wanting. If you leave here today unaffected, unmoved, you're always going to be left wanting. You're always going to be looking for that next thing. I know my family and I, we moved from Texas to Portland, Oregon. And we had grown up in Texas our whole lives. And we moved to Oregon, which is a big upgrade as far as nature, right? If you've ever been there, you know you have Cannon Beach, drivable distance. You have Mount Hood in the distance. You have Forest Park right downtown. It's beautiful. And so as soon as we moved there, we made plans to visit all of those places. And as we did, we, we looked like travelers and we looked like we didn't live there because we were taking selfies. We were trying to do that trick with your finger where you're like touching the tip of the mountain. And we're cheesing. You can tell we're not used to this. We're from Texas. And I remember as we talked to people, we were in awe. We were amazed at the beauty of God's creation in Portland, the beauty of these mountains, the beauty of these trees, and we could go hiking and skiing and go to a beach, and it's all within an hour. Portland's amazing, right? And we were amazed, and we would tell that people we were speaking and praising Portland, Oregon at this point. And as we would do that, we would talk to some people, and some of those people would say things like, yeah, I went on a hike there once. Oh, yeah, yeah, I drive by that place every day. And they would say things like, you know, yeah, I remember when I was like you. <laughs> I remember when I was taking selfies with the mountain behind me. But I've lived here for so long, I've driven past it so many times that, you know what, I don't even notice it anymore. How many of you does that describe your search for? satisfaction, for meaning, and while you may not use this word for worship. 
that at some point, as beauty as those mountains are, at some point, as beauty as that forest and the, the beach is, that it fades eventually, that you get used to it, right? And for some of you, maybe it's not mountains. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's the next big thing. You think, when I get this, whatever this is for you, when I get this relationship, when I get this money, when I get this, then I'll be satisfied. And listen, maybe you will for a little bit. Maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months, maybe even a year, it will satisfy you, but eventually it always fades. Have you experienced that? Why do you think that is? Because you were made for something more. Because you were made to worship the unprecedented one. The one who flipped death on its side. The one who resurrected and first delivered the news to the most unlikely of people. You were made to worship him. The one who changed history. And so if you don't do that, if you don't do that today, if that's not your response today... You're always going to be left wanting. You're going to go through those cycles of if if I can just get this. And you're going to get this and it's never going to be enough. We're made to worship Jesus because he is unprecedented. The second thing we see is that Jesus is personal. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, Jesus said to her, Mary. It's really simple. Jesus said to her, Mary. Notice he simply calls her by name. And I just love that. I mean, he could have done a lot of things in that moment, right? I mean, he could have shaken Mary. Said, Mary, it's me. He could have instantly had her bow before him as the risen king. But he doesn't do any of that. He just calls her by name. Isaiah 43 says this, that God who, the God who formed you calls you by name and says, you are mine. What's interesting about Jesus, if, you, if you've read about him or heard about him at all, you know at the beginning of his ministry, he attracts the masses. That he performs miracles, that he heals people, that he preaches, and he attracts the masses. But what I love about the story of Jesus and the life of Jesus is that even though he attracts the masses, he always comes back to the one-on-one. He always makes it personal. You think of people like Nicodemus. You think of people like the woman at the well. Like Zacchaeus, he stops and gets one-on-one. And even in this account, in John chapter 20, in the resurrection, the most impactful moment of all history, you would think that maybe he would have created a hype train to attract the masses, but he doesn't. He introduces himself to one person because Jesus is personal. We see that just in the resurrection. And some of you are here and you'll push back and say, well, well Tim, he, he may be personal for you and maybe some other people that dress nice today, but, but he's not personal for me. I mean, he seems distant. I mean, my problems, my pain, I mean, where is he in all of this? Have you ever considered that just like for Mary, that he was... He was right there, that he was using your pain, that he was using her pain to draw her close. 
to simply call her by name. And so in your, in your pain, and your struggle, even now, that Jesus is, is not distant, he's, he's drawing you. He's drawing you close, and, and he's simply calling your name because he's personal. Because he died for you. It was very personal. He rose for you. Mary was in immense pain. She thought Jesus was gone. And he says, no, 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 I'm right here. And I'm calling out your name. He's calling out your name this morning. He has you here for a purpose. You didn't come here by accident. It's not just for the egg hunt. It's not just because somebody brought you. Jesus is calling out your name this morning because he's personal. The third thing we see is Jesus is powerful. Verse 17, look at that verse. Verse 17 tells us that Jesus not only has the power to resurrect, he has the power to ascend. And that he's getting ready to do just that. But before he does that, he sends Mary on a mission to proclaim what she's seen and what she's heard. And so she does that and she says something really specific. You see it in the text. She says, I have seen the Lord. That term Lord is really significant. Just by definition alone, it means someone who owns property. I remember my wife and I, we bought our first house, and we owned that house. We were paying on it, so you you get the picture. So one day, we would own that house. And I remember just a few months into that, it was Christmas, and some people from my church got the grand idea to wrap my house. Exactly. What? I mean, like, really... But they wrapped it for Christmas. So if you can imagine wrapping paper, don't get any ideas, though. They wrapped my house, and as we were coming home, they were finishing up, and they all jumped in the car. It was so cute. They thought they were so cute, and they they drove off as fast as possible. And so after we kicked them out of the church, I'm kidding. No, but after that, we, we began to talk, my wife and I, and we just said, hey, what if that wasn't people from our church? What if we rolled up to our house and there were some people we didn't know? Maybe some people trying to rob my house or vandalize my house. And I asked my wife, what would you do? <laughs> and my wife kind of looks at me like dumbfounded, like, well, I would call the cops. Why? What would you do? And I'm like, I would jump out of the car and chase them down on foot because that's my house. They're at my house. Listen, you need to know that all of creation is Jesus' house. The Colossians 1 tells us that all things were created through him and for him. That all things, that it's all his house. But he doesn't just protect it. He transforms it. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord over all, amen? Romans 14, again, says Jesus is Lord over life and death. That there's nothing he can't fix. That he can forgive sin. That he can heal disease. That he can bring peace and conflict. Because he's Lord over life and death. It's all his. At Christmas, we gave my, my three-year-old son a little Lego. And it wasn't just any Lego, it was a little Iron Man Lego. And so as you can imagine, he was ecstatic. 
right? He didn't know what to do with himself. He got this little Iron Man Lego, and he was excited. But we almost didn't give it to him because he's three, and it's a little Lego with little Lego parts. And he's three. Are you tracking with me? And so we almost didn't give it to him because we're like, he's going to lose it. He's going to break it. He's going to lose all the little Lego parts. And sure enough, that Lego did not make it past Christmas Day. But then about two months later, we, we found that Lego. It's kind of like today. It was like the resurrection of the Iron Man Lego. And it was like Christmas for my little three-year-old son in February. And he took that Lego everywhere he went. And he had the little parts. And he took it everywhere he went. And we just knew, like, how long is it going to be before he loses that Lego? Or breaks off those little parts. And sure enough, like once a day, Daddy, the mask came off. The helmet came off. Can you put it back together? And, and every time I'd put it back together. And before long, it happened that we'd find one piece and put it back together. And then we'd say, well, where, where's the helmet? We'd find the mask, but then we'd lose the, the helmet. I would fix one thing, but then the other things needed fixed. And in fact, right now... We found the mask, it was a glorious day, but we still don't have the helmet to put back on. I don't know where it is. Because if something would break, something would get fixed, and then something else would break. How many times does that describe our struggle and our battle with our sin? That there's some problems. Listen, even if you're here and you're not a Christian, you would admit there's some problems in our world, right? You look at our culture, you look at our world, you look at Belgium, you look at things that just happened, something's off, right? I think we'd all agree on that. If you are a Christian, you, you know something's off in your own life. And you know we have a Savior to fix it, but, but if you don't know that, or if there are times where you doubt that, what do we try to do? We strategize. We scramble and we try to, to take this one little part and we try to put it back together. And maybe you do that for a time. Maybe you think, I got this new breathing technique. I found this new self-help book. Like, I don't get as angry as I used to. I found these new strategies. I, lust isn't as big of a deal for me as it was. And for a time, you think, I, I got this. And then what happens? <laughs> Something else is broken, right? Something else is always broken. And some of you, if you would just be honest for a moment, you would say, that's my life. That's a cycle for me that I'm trying so hard to fix everything in my life one by one and everything is breaking. If that's you, you need to know that the only one that has the power to fix your sin, to fix all of it, is Jesus Christ. That you were never meant to fix it. You are helpless to fix your own sin. And that it's only when you surrender it and when you give it away to Jesus, that when you throw up empty hands of faith, and you say, Jesus, I can't fix this, I need you to. By the blood of your cross, by the power of your resurrection, I need you to fix all of this because I can't. It's a beautiful moment when you experience the power of the resurrection because Jesus is powerful. 
no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, it's not too late. You're never too far gone for the power of the resurrection. And I know as I've said that a couple times now, some of you are thinking, yeah, maybe for some of these people, but you don't know me. I mean, Tim, you wouldn't say that about me. I mean, what I've done, where I've been, what I've seen, I mean, I shouldn't even be here right now. I'm not like the rest of these people. I don't belong here. If that's you, would you just look right at me? If that's you, you need to know that's precisely why you're here. That God brought you here. That Jesus died for you. For all of the things you've seen, for all of the things you've done, for all of the things that have been done to you, that Jesus died for you, that he rose for you. Jesus says, I haven't come for the healthy, but for who? The sick. I haven't come for the righteous, but for who? The sinner. You need to know that. Jesus came for you. He came for me no matter what you've done. No matter where you have been, you're not too far gone for the power of Jesus Christ. You see a great example of it in John chapter 11. So same book, earlier on in the book, John chapter 11, this guy named Lazarus dies. And we see that Jesus weeps. Maybe you've heard that verse before. Jesus weeps at the death of his friend Lazarus. But then he goes to the tomb. And he says, roll that stone away and Martha, the sister, is there, and she says, Jesus, you don't know what you're saying. I mean, Lazarus, he's been dead for four days. I mean, there's an odor in there by now. You don't know what you're saying. It's too late. And Jesus says, not for the glory of God. And he says, roll that stone away. And then he yells with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And what happens? Lazarus comes forth. It says they unbind his linens. And listen, that's just such a great picture for you today. It's too late, four days, there's an odor. Jesus, you don't know what you're saying. This is impossible. Maybe you're thinking that about your life. This is impossible. This is too messy. My relationships, my sin, my past. It's too messy that my past is binding me like those linens around Lazarus. And Jesus is saying to you, come forth. Come forth. That I will unbind the linens of your past. That I will clean up your mess. That you're not too far gone for me, for the glory of God to shine through me to you, to save you from all of that, and to make you new. Amen? That's the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see it in Lazarus, and listen, if you know Jesus, you've seen it in your own life. And maybe you're thinking, well, Tim, I'm not that bad off. I mean, when we give testimonies, mine is always boring. I, I, I've gone, gone to church. I, I do the right things. I have Christian friends. I know the language. And maybe you're thinking, well, I, I'm not that bad off. Listen, Scripture tells us that if you have not placed your faith, your faith in Jesus Christ and his atoning blood on the cross, 
If you haven't done that, you are just as bad off as everyone else. That dead is dead. And some of us just smell nicer. That maybe you have some respectable sins. And maybe you can put a a good show on the outside, but maybe on the inside you're in turmoil. And you're dead just like everybody else. And maybe today you show up, you dress nice, and you can put on a good show, and you know how to say happy, happy Easter. But on the inside, you're struggling. It's because you're, you're dead. Without Jesus, all fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3. All. That all means all in the Greek. It's everybody in this room. And so I don't know how you walk in here today. I don't know your past. But wherever you are along that spectrum, you need to know that we have a Jesus who resurrects, who is unprecedented in all of history, who is personal, who died and resurrected for you. And we have a Jesus who's powerful. There's nothing too far gone. It's never too late for him to heal and forgive. And so today, the question is for you, will you trust him? Will you give your sin to him? Will you commit to follow him all the days of your life for your joy, for his glory, so that you won't be left wanting, so that you won't rifle through all of those things that you think are going to satisfy but never will? You don't have to do that anymore. Jesus has risen from the grave. He has ascended on high. He brings ultimate joy, ultimate peace. And it never ends. It's eternal. So you have a decision to make today. And listen, it's an important decision. It's a decision that affects your entire life. Because it affects your eternal life. And so will you trust Jesus, the risen Lord, who defeated death, who's calling you by name, who wants a relationship with you, who wants to love you forever, that you can never lose that. You will never be shaken. Imagine what that life would be like. It's available to you this morning. And so I'm going to take some time for us to do that, to do just that, to respond to the resurrected Jesus. I'm going to invite the the band back up. And as the band comes back up, I just want you guys to to bow your heads. Just right where you are, you can bow your heads in silence. Kids, you can do that with us. Just bow your heads. And I want to take a moment to respond. We said it earlier and we showed you we have a baptism tank over here. What you need to know about baptism as your heads are bowed is it doesn't save you. But it's a picture. It's a picture of what we just got through talking about, that Jesus died and he rose. And as you go down in the water, you celebrate that you have died to sin and that you have risen to newness of life. That it's a celebration on the outside of what's already happened on the inside. And so first, if you're not a Christian, you need to know that you need to meet Jesus. You need to put your trust in Jesus. 
And listen, as your heads are bowed, every eye closed, you can do that right now. Just between you and God. Not thinking about what's going to happen later today, but just between you and God right now that you would just simply tell Jesus, Jesus, I need you. That I believe that you died for my sin and that I believe you rose again to give me a new life. That you would just tell Jesus, Jesus, I want to follow you. You would just simply talk to Jesus. You can stop listening to me and start talking to him now. I won't be offended. Jesus, I need you. You died for my sin. You rose again in victory. I want to follow you. You can just tell him that right where you are. He hears you. He's personal. And that if you did that, what better day to celebrate that publicly in baptism? Maybe you think, I'm not sure if I'm ready for that. Listen, we have some people that would love to talk with you. They're standing in these two middle aisles. If you just prayed that, you can look right up at me. If you just prayed that, you can look up at me. And you can walk right now. Just stand up and walk to these middle aisles. And there's men and women with lanyards on that say, I can help. And they would love to help you in the most important decision of your entire life. The decision to follow Jesus. If that's you, you can get up and walk back right now. If you're here today and as your, as your head is bowed and you're thinking, I, I've done that, Tim. I, I've placed my faith in Jesus. I know him. But maybe this is setting in for you like it never has before. Maybe it just hit home like it never has before. Maybe you've never been baptized. Maybe you've never publicly identified as a follower of Jesus through baptism. We'd love to celebrate that with you today. We said it earlier, but there's no excuses. We have clothes in the back. These men and women in these aisles, as you get up and you go back to them, you can change. We have a place for you to change. We have towels. We have clothes. There's no excuses. You can celebrate the victory that we have in Jesus this morning. And if that's you, I'd ask you to, to walk to the back even now. All the heads are bowed. Everybody's eyes are closed. You just walk to the back. These men and women would love to talk with you, pray with you, and ask any questions you may have. We have a nice Bible to give you to help you follow Jesus. That's why we're here, and so that you can do that this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing and celebrate baptism. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these men and women that you lived for them, that you died for them, that you rose for them, for all of their sins, the ones they remember, the ones they've forgotten, the ones they're trying to forget, and that we celebrate that today, that it's good news. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that it's not cold religion, it's not checking a box, it's not going through the motions, but that we celebrate new life in Jesus Christ this morning. And God, I pray as we celebrate that, as we sing about that good news, as we watch people go under the water and come out of the water, that we would celebrate that you have defeated sin, Satan, and death. And we can walk in that this morning. Help us to do that. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.